If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. And gentlemen, there's a thing about current events. They just keep coming. We get more and more currenter. It's we can't seem to get all of them done, and then we're and then we can move on to a new topic. There's more current events this week. Are we turning into a news show? I no, no. Not. Uh, <laughs> especially because we're always lagging. You know, anywhere from a month to a year behind on most of this stuff. Um, but I will say this: I want to I want to start with just a nod to two of the current events from last week. Um, the the judicial decisions uh, to prevent the executive branch from stifling online communication and um, the the uh, decision to allow Microsoft to buy Activision. Both of those are now being appealed by the U.S. federal government. The federal government is going to spend more tax money to fight these things. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and oddly enough, I want to start our first new current event, current, current event, um, with another federal government action. The FTC is going after Amazon. Oh, on the, no. on the basis. <laughs> well, have you ever tried to cancel your Prime membership? No, why would I do that? I love Prime. I I want to have I want to pay for Prime until I die. <laughs> I, I'm kind of a fan of Prime too. I gotta say it it really makes a lot of things very convenient. Rafti, you're nodding though. You've heard of this. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, because for people who are not in the US, um, they typically use Amazon in multiple countries. Like I have an Amazon account which I use on Amazon.com as well, especially when I used to subscribe to Audible. Because I wanted English audiobooks, I had an MS, I had the account on Amazon.com and on Amazon.de, which I typically order from, and I have my Prime on Amazon.de, and I was tempted to get a second Prime subscription for Amazon.com. Oh, tempted. interesting! Yeah, outstanding, the, outstanding. These, now these are separate I, accounts. I, it's no, it's the same login. On both, it works on both set on both websites, but it's a separate account. You don't share Prime between those, at least. For now. Yeah, I've actually had students who used Amazon for smuggling purposes. I kid you <laughs> not. And these are security practitioners. Uh, this was specifically my Swiss students. You know where I'm going with this, Rafti? No, I have no clue. Switzerland uh, does not allow Amazon to deliver uh, to Switzerland. Really? Uh, they don't have Amazon. And I have no clue. <laughs> when I first when I first heard that. I said, how do you survive? <laughs> how do they survive? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't. So what they do, what they do is they have uh, Amazon.de, German Amazon accounts, 
they order their goods to be delivered to a post office box in Germany. Then once a quarter, they drive over to Germany, pick up their stuff and drive it back into Switzerland, literally smuggling. And I said, well, what happens if you get caught? And they said, no, no, this is Switzerland. Nobody looks. <laughs> especially especially if you're Swiss. If you're if German, you're they yeah. look yeah. if you're German, they look especially close. Yeah. And if you're Austrian, they are sort of okay with you. Uh just for context. And for, for people. And there's like, a sticker on the car that tells them who you are as you're approaching. Yeah. Also with the license plate. European yeah. license yeah. plates all have the blue bar with the country on there and Swiss is not part of the EU, so they don't have the blue bar, so it's easy to detect. Um, if you're you're from the EU, which is basically surrounding Switzerland, um, but Swiss is for context is very small. And I have been recently on vacation. I think I shared this on a podcast in Malta, and there have been three people from Switzerland there as well. Um, and they told me, and I did not know this, that Switzerland basically is a two-hour drive across um, for for the populated part of Switzerland. Of course, you can lose yourself in the small bits and parts where where it's mountainous, but in the populated parts, it's a two-hour drive from one side to the other. So it's very small. Um, and yeah, <laughs> for them, driving up to the border of another country, an international border, it's basically like... It's a day know. trip. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. a, a short it, day trip. And oddly, <laughs> I've had Canadian students who did the same thing. Uh, that they'll they'll yeah. uh, go and buy stuff in Minnesota expressly because it's not available in Canada, and then they'll drive it back across um, with with less smuggling because it's more legal to bring stuff from the U.S. into Canada. Um, uh, but I, I remember driving from Germany into Switzerland, and they make a big deal at the rental car company that you have to go and get the day pass. The 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 it, it's basically a tourist visa for your car, and you have to stop at a gas station just inside the border, pay for this thing, and drive. And and I did all this, and it took an extra you know half hour or whatever it was, and a, and how many dozen euros. And then I just drove across the border. There was no one in the border guard shack. There was nobody even looking. It was just, it was the most ridiculous thing. I was kind of disappointed. I was hoping the Swiss guards would be there, you know? <laughs> uh, but that's that's not why the FTC is, is mad at Amazon. They're okay. mad at Amazon because they say it's too hard to cancel your Prime membership. That well, you... Someone who has canceled AOL and someone who has canceled cable TV, I can imagine how hard it is to cancel Prime because neither of those were easy. No, those were those were actual fights. And I remember some of the um, uh, broadcast recorded uh, phone calls with cable customer service where a customer was trying to cancel and had to spend a half hour on the phone with recalcitrant um, customer support personnel who would not let them cancel their cable account. Yep. Uh, so here's what the FTC says is too onerous. It takes up to six clicks to cancel your Amazon account. Mm. Would either of you like to guess what the minimum number of clicks to file a complaint on the FTC website is? <laughs> oh, at least two or three times that I'm sure. Seven. It's at least seven. Okay. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is again our federal government finding the important problems facing the American consumer. <laughs> I wish them luck with their lawsuit and uh, hope all lawyers spend eternity in some place <laughs> metaphysically uncomfortable. 
But the um, reason Matt- why, sorry, just for context, because we the, the tangent so that it makes more sense, I want to tie it quickly in. The reason why I talked about having multiple Amazon accounts is because sometimes you have more than one Prime subscription. And as far as I understand from what I've read about this topic is that this is the issue most of the time. People having multiple Prime subscription uh, subscriptions and can and they cannot get out of them because they're sort of like confused about um what is what and i don't know this is at least the context i heard of it like that that there are people and i, I as far as i know um prime <clears throat> prime around here is less expensive uh but in the us i think it's above 100 bucks a year isn't it oh it's uh, 179 a, a year right now yeah i don't remember what i'm paying i you know it, it's possible that the multiple accounts thing may be an element of this that's not what i've seen in the court filing so it has to do with okay. the complication of the of the user <laughs> Exactly, yeah. but because you have multiple multiple accounts, you want to cancel one of them because you by accident you subscribe by accident to a second on another account or whatever because the the sign up is so easy um, and Amazon is pushing it on you if you're not already a Prime member and then it's like this is the context I heard of it, but just wanted to quickly make sure that I tie in why I had the tangent and why we went to <laughs> how okay. it works around here. All right. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't heard of that. I, you know, that, that, that might be a possibility. I, at, at Wanna Practice, we get at least two requests per week from customers wanting to cancel their account. And they email us from an email address other than the one they used to subscribe to Wanna Practice. <laughs> making it close to impossible for us to help them to cancel their account. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I, well, I understand Amazon's pain here as a uh, service provider. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, this brings up something that I think is interesting because I didn't even realize you could cancel Amazon prime by just clicking on this on a screen. Even if it's six clicks, you can, you don't have to talk to anybody. That's, that's amazing. It's lovely. It's yeah. absolutely, I mean, in terms, of, in terms of customer facing service, it's great. And if you really want to, you know, go with the nuclear option, you can just cancel your credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always the, yeah, the, the you know, the that's the fallback to... position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the trick is to not register your, your, your real credit card in the first place and use a burner credit card uh, or something like that. And then, sure. yeah, it's automatic. It's, it, it's uh, self-sustaining. You don't have to worry, worry about it at all. Yeah, you're not worried about your credit. I don't know. Does Amazon Prime uh, feed into your credit score? If you surely probably, I think think yeah. Any any credit payment you make, I think feeds your credit score. I'm gonna have to guess. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I found that that fascinating. Okay, Um, Matt, do you have a currenter event? Well, uh, yeah, I, I actually wrote down a list this time, so I'm I'm organized. I'm ready for the show today. That's cheating. <laughs> yeah, instead of going off memory like I usually try to. Um, something that had come up on uh, uh, my feed, especially a few weeks ago, it's, it's kind of died down really quickly, but the, uh, uh, the social media platform Threads has now become a thing. And I was curious if you guys knew anything about it because... I looked at it for 30 seconds and was like, oh, this requires an Instagram account, which I don't have. So therefore, I'm not interested in anything going on on threads. But uh, what do you guys think about it? Oh, it goes a little bit more than you need to have an Instagram account. This is uh, for those who have not heard. This is uh, the meta company that is basically Facebook and the Facebook family. Um, They're trying to create a competitor to Twitter. And um, 
not only do you need an Instagram account, but once you connect your Threads account to your Instagram account, you cannot cancel Threads without also canceling your Instagram and Facebook accounts. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> so, Where's the FTC when you need them? I ask. So yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. There's no a la carding any of this stuff. Correct. Correct. Um, and uh, they they did make some news because in the first 48 hours, 100 million subscriptions were created for Threads, um, which is pretty damn impressive for any kind of platform anywhere. Uh, sure we have no idea how many of those like were bots, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm yeah. sure the Russian farmers and the Chinese and the North Korean farmers all signed up. <laughs> you know, yeah. um but uh, from what I understand, uh, almost immediately they had a drop off of engagement. Um, they automatically started um, uh, unsubscribing certain users based on their political affiliations. Um, really? They, is, that, made... is, is that real? Are you or are you being snarky? No, no, that's that's absolutely no kidding, no joke for real. Within within the first forty eight hours, how does started... it do your political affiliation? It's fa it's Facebook. <laughs> I don't know, like Cambridge I, I, Analytica. I know it has been a while, but <laughs> it's still well, Facebook. <laughs> well, does Facebook know your political? I don't think I ever checked a box that said Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, or other on my Facebook. You, you do understand, Matt, that the entire meta business model is hoovering up every bit of personal information you have. Were you unaware of this, Matthew? If so, I think we really need to revise your CISSP and your membership of this program. I'm questioning how much Facebook actually knows about me now because I don't think I've ever done anything political ever on Facebook. Regardless of whether you have, everyone who knows yeah. you yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. And by extent, this is the reason why privacy is not a me thing, but an us thing. Like. Mm -hmm. You're just, even if it's not correct, you're in one of the camps just by association, you know? Even when Ted Kaczynski <laughs> went out to the woods, his brother-in-law knew <laughs> what his political affiliation was. And that's all it takes, right? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, um, they also made public statements. Uh, the uh, Executives from Facebook and Meta have made public statements saying, they do not want threads to be a uh, political discussion uh, square. Um, they want it to be only for social engagement. How they're going to accomplish this while allowing people to have conversations is kind of beyond me. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Rafi, uh, what do you know about threads? Um, yeah, I know that they pulled it in a week earlier because Twitter um had their like rate limits implemented to 600 tweets per day per account and you could not they changed as well that you could not watch like few tweets without logging in so that they can actually enforce the rate limit and so facebook decided um well we if we're gonna do it now is the best time to do it because now people cannot engage on twitter anymore without paying um, and so they will need another platform uh, to go to and threads is right there. Um, I think they made it easy to convert your social graph as well from Instagram over to, to threads. So you already had people you follow because this is typically with a new social network, the hardest bit, like who do you follow? Who do you care about? Who has interesting yeah. things to say? 
um, yeah, that reestablish all those connections and go through and be like, oh, I like LeBron James. Oh, I like, you know, Steven Seagal. It, and this so goes, all. Yeah, yeah. And so they made it this so easy with with the connection to Instagram um, and stuff like that so that you could port over your Instagram um, social graph and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And um, I, I also read that apparently the Cloudflare um uh cloudflare made a comment that they saw twitter um engagement like traffic fall off afterwards i don't really? know if i don't know if this is based on cloudflare dns because like one 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 is the cloudflare dns i don't know if it's based if if uh twitter is using cloudflare protection because this is a thing as well this is i, I guess people in our industry know what cloudflare does um, so yeah, but, um, Cloudflare made the public announcement that they saw a steep cutoff. I don't, I don't recall for, uh, like how much percentage fall, but it was very significant. Um, hmm. apparently don't know if it got back up again afterwards, because as you said, like, of course, if threads is the hot new thing, everybody's on there trying to figure out if it's going to stay, but Facebook has tried this in the past. I mean, now is a good time to try to kill Twitter um, because Twitter is falling, I would say. It's not even stumbling at this point anymore. It is falling to a certain degree. Um, but still, um, Twitter has still more people on their platform. And the and social graphs are... This is what Cloudflare says has at least dropped. I don't know. Like, they did not say if it's still more engagement total, but it is dropping. No, per, uh, per user, the engagement is still higher on Twitter. And, okay. and I think we should do a future episode because I, something just occurred to me. If a third party like Cloudflare, which is aware of the traffic for its customers, um, if they make a public announcement about a private sector company, which affects that company's share price, could Cloudflare be used for stock manipulation? Absolutely, yes. But Twitter is not a public company anymore. It's not publicly traded. They don't have stocks. Like they took that's the thing that. Oh, that's that, right. Know, they they took it private. They took, they it, took private. it private. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. That's very interesting. Mm. <laughs> mm. All right. All right. Very cool. Um, Rafti, do you have a current or event? Um, I don't know if it's current. I don't know if anybody cares, but I'm as an EV driver care a bit about what's going on with EVs and stuff. What's going and, on with EVs? Um, like in, in North America, um, more and more auto manufacturers are switching to the Tesla standard for charging. Um, oh. Tesla very famously was of course the first with a very good infrastructure in charging. Um, in Europe, this never has been a problem because Europe, of course, likes their regulatory everything. So Teslas have the same, we're forced to have the same charging uh, implemented as every other EV in Europe. So they don't have their proprietary charger here, but they do in the US. And so in the US, you had the two tiers or like two two competing standards, the CCS standard um, with this with the type one and then the two um, DC charging poles uh, underneath it. It's a very clunky and very big um, um, like plug. And then the Tesla plug, which is much nicer, smaller, um, but like there were concerns that it might not be capable of doing high currents through it. Um, but apparently the automakers don't care because the Tesla 
um, charging network is the most reliable in, in North America. And so more and more um, like um, auto manufacturers are, are switching over. I think Ford already committed. I think GM committed and I don't know who else, but like um, Volkswagen, oh. I think announced that they're even changing because they own Electrify America. And they are, I think, announcing as well that they're moving, like switching their plugs as well, or at least have uh, dual plugs for a, a period. Um, uh, my like my understanding was that Tesla made its charging stations available to any manufacturer. That was my understanding. <clears throat> that anyone can use their poles. Yeah, they they started doing that. Um, but of course, because the the plug is different, they had to have adapters. Right, um, right. And now the the manufacturers are saying, well, we are going to support your charger natively as well. We'll just make um, our plug fit your pole and we'll use yeah, your poles yeah. instead of trying to set up our own. Exactly. This way, the, the auto manufacturers don't have to make a replicated or redundant pole system. Exactly, exactly. And um, the reason why why I'm like what I wanted to share with with um, all of our listeners, um, if you um, like are thinking about this and buying an EV, look at where your charging port is because Tesla plugs are very short. Like they're, the cable on their, on their thing is very short. And so you have to like park very awkwardly if your charging port is not at an ideal position. Um, if you want to use the, the Tesla network as well. Just so let me let me understand this. The cord comes out of the pole and plugs into the car. It's not yeah. the car that has the cord that plugs into no. the pole. No, no. For right. for DC charging, it's the the cord is on the pole. Yeah. For okay. for um AC charging, that's what you're saying. Like you bring the cable, usually you bring the cable to the to the charging pole. But with DC fast charging it's attached because it's cooled as well. There's liquid in the in the cable itself, in the cable itself, so that it's cooling it actively. Really? The CCS yeah. standard is, yeah, yeah, the CCS standard is. That's the reason why it's so thick and why we're not capable of oh. like putting a kink into it and stuff. So yeah. so that's how it gets over the heat issues from all the amperage that's going through the through the wire. Yes. Interesting. I, did, I had no idea. Me neither. Yeah. That's fascinating, actually. I'm yeah, so far yeah. behind when it comes to EVs. I'm such a oh. gasoline guy and does it, doesn't it make sense to have a single standard i mean it, you know that way because it's not like gas companies it's not like gas stations you're not going to have four competing gas stations on each corner you're just going to have these posts and everyone can just plug into everything electricity is electricity right absolutely yeah. now i have a question has tesla patented uh or or somehow Tesla famously open sourced all its patents it oh really okay all. Okay, yeah. so so you yeah. can use a royalty free. You don't have to pay Tesla any licensing to use the standard. Okay, cool. Correct. That's that's actually a good thing. I like that. They did that with the cars is... too. With they the just... cars. With the cars, yeah. You can make a Tesla if you want to. Oh, I have no clue. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Um. The the thing, uh, which is of course the result of that, as I said, like you, you're sort of forced to have your uh, plug at the same place, at least okay. if you don't want to produce cars which sort of like look awkward on the parking spot and I or guess another like, place that's at least convenient 
or an extension yeah. cord that's also liquid cooled. Exactly. <laughs> this is the thing. Yeah. 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 You know what I would really like to see come back, and Ben, you probably remember this. I'm sure Rafty doesn't. Is the 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 charging port? Just put it behind the license plate, like it yes. was in the '70s. Put it back yes. in the middle, and so it doesn't matter which side you 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 come to. Please. <laughs> you lift up the license plate. There's your little charging port, and you plug it in. Now I will say that spring-loaded some bitch was was a little bit tricky, and if you lived in Wisconsin, it was always freezing cold in the winter and covered in slush. So you know there is a nice part about having the high side uh, uh, gas port, but but yes, it, it it made much more sense in terms of I didn't have to remember for my own car which side to pull in on. Exactly. I didn't have to look at the little graphic every time. Yep, yep. I've driven a Tesla exactly one time. That's the only EV I've ever driven. And I, I will say the torque on the thing, is, this was a Type S. Uh, my partner in the forensic firm owns a Tesla, and he let me drive it one day. And he knows how I like to drive. And <laughs> I warned him before he let me drive. I said, are you sure you want for me to drive this? Because you know how I'm going to treat this thing. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was in the passenger seat. Uh, anyways, all I had to say um, we once we came to a stop he's never let me drive the car again <laughs> but it was enjoyable it was interesting i'm not sure that i'm ever going to get a tesla i'm sure i'll get an ev at some point but i still enjoy uh uh supercharged gasoline uh cars <laughs> uh, all right all right excellent good no that's a fascinating one thank you rafty uh, we learned a lot now i gotta take us to probably our most important current event ever um the sensuous sounds of infosec is going full partisan in modern politics. We have selected our presidential candidate for 2020 fro. What? 2020 fro. What are you saying? Afro man. <laughs> Afro man has declared that he is running for president. Okay. Now, if you remember, um, if you recall, uh, avid listeners, uh, Afro Man has been featured on our show previously for a couple of his interactions with police and his use of uh, IT to capture their malfeasance and his use of the First Amendment information distribution to castigate them humorously and embarrass them rightly. He, um, based on this notoriety, he's launched his presidential campaign. And I gotta say, if you go to afromanforpresident.com, you'll see why we love this guy. His his platform, his platform is is only uh, it's only eight points long, but it includes uh, decriminalizing cannabis, criminal justice reform, law enforcement reform, halt of all foreign aid, reparations, using all of the former drug war money that will no longer exist because drugs will be legalized to pay um, victims of slavery and the descendants of victims of slavery. Now, this next part of his platform, I'm not sure how he's going to accomplish this. Unity, love, and peace. Mm. I'm not sure the executive branch can quite accomplish that, but if anyone can, it's Afro Man. <laughs> More sports celebrations is also uh, his platform. And finally, legalization of prostitution which i think should have been number one i mean you should lead with your strengths mm, yeah. Um, yeah uh but uh I we wish should get him on the show i would love to get him on the show i think i'll 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 go about trying this uh very soon and and yeah. let him uh let him explain to us in great depth um uh his platform and his campaign um we wish him luck 
We now, wish him luck. It, does he have a, a an explicit political party that he's affiliated with? Is he libertarian or Republican or Democrat or something else? Or does he I say? I don't think he's. I don't think he stated. Okay, so he's uh, just I, just a dark horse, just uh, unaffiliated. Uh, yeah, just, that, that, yeah, that's what it anybody? seems. Independent. Independent. Okay. Okay. Isn't yeah. there a thing like that you have to get enough like signatures in each state before you can run <laughs> yes. in that state? Yep. Okay. Well, not to run. You can run anywhere. It's getting on the ballot yeah. that yeah. requires uh, different amounts of signatures of residents of that state in each state, and the rules for each state are different. Um, so ballot access is the difficulty unless you become aligned with a party in that state or a nationwide party. Um, but to be fair... I think it was the 2020 election that Kanye West ran in. Mm -hmm. Kanye West was on my ballot here in Kentucky. In your state? Yeah, yeah he, he made it to the ballot. So I could have, not that I did. <laughs> but... And it has happened before. I mean, there have been independents who made the, I think H. Ross Perot mm -hmm. um, made the nationwide ballots, if I remember correctly. I think so, yeah. I yeah. think so. Um, so it's, it's not unheard of. Was yeah. that 92? Yeah, because that was Clinton versus Bush. Bush and, the elder, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bush HW. Um, yeah. Oh gosh, I miss Ross Perot. Yeah, right. <laughs> he seems sane compared to our uh, <laughs> current slate. All right. Uh Matthew, do you have another current or event? Um but um but um but um but um but um 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 oh the um yeah, the cyber trust mark. I, I just found this this morning when I was researching topics. Um, I'm trying to pull up my web page. So there is a new thing. I can't see you guys because I've got my, my web browser open. U.S. government launches the cyber trust mark, the long-awaited IoT security labeling program. So apparently the federal government thinks that it needs to step in and police the security on iot or internet of things devices so my refrigerator uh your firewall um you know your uh your smartwatch all those things would be federally uh i guess uh, blessed yeah <laughs> in other words the manufacturer would pay some kickback money and get a sticker to put on it that says that we uh comply with this the um the gist of it is that uh, apparently uh, it's come to the the attention of the federal government that there's way too many security risks with all these IoT things, which is something that we have said and trumpeted for for a very long time on this show and and in our personal lives. Um, and I agree. Yeah, these things are they're hard to manage. They're hard to secure. They're hard to tell what they're actually doing. Uh, so the federal government is going to. Um, put together something in conjunction with NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which I I am a big, big uh, proponent of the NIST people. Um, but they're going to set a bunch of standards. Um, some of the standards include uh, being able to have uh, default passwords that are secure and unique, um, software updating policies, data encryption standards, uh, stuff like that. So, do we want um, the federal government getting their hands on our IoT security? I, I got to ask, historically, have federal benchmarks for consumer products been useful? And I ask this in the particular context of Energy Star ratings is the closest <laughs> I can think of. Are you both familiar with that program? You know, you bring that up. 
and I've seen the yep. Energy Star sticker for decades. I have no idea what it means. I have no Me idea what, <laughs> what it Coffee, does. Are you familiar with Energy yeah, Star? I, I see it, but I don't know what it means either. But I, okay. I, yeah. <laughs> so the Energy Star program supposedly was, I think, a Department of Energy effort, lead effort, um, to measure the energy efficiency of home appliances. And manufacturers could apply for an Energy Star rating to earn the sticker. And they had to send in the schematics uh, of their particular products in order to get reviewed and approved by um, the DOE. If the DOE liked your schematics, they'd issue you the right to use the sticker and you could slap it on your appliance, which was supposed to be used as a marketing distinguisher as having high efficiency. It got called into question in the early 2000s when one enterprising individual sent in seven or eight different applications for several products, including a steam-powered alarm clock. And uh, um, it, it got, it earned the Energy Star rating and he was allowed to put stickers on his uh, <laughs> nascent product. It was It was basically calling out the fact that they were rubber stamping all applications and the DOE wasn't actually reviewing the process. Um, also, I've, I've really not seen any products that don't have the Energy Star sticker and it just seems like a formality. And I really haven't noticed as the user of home appliances, more efficient appliances having Energy Star versus those that did not. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm questionable, I, I'm, I'm very much skeptical of a government effort to apply this to IT, especially IT security. Historically, this has been attempted before. Um, the US federal government through the NSA tried to promulgate ITSEC and then TCSEC as standards of IT security for um, IT systems, which also included software as well. I wrote an article for Security Focus about 25 years ago about how Microsoft um, Windows, and I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was Windows 2000, was uh, being reviewed under TCSEC for the C2 rating uh, as part of the Red Book review, if you remember. Oh, I think Red that was Windows, Windows NT 4.0 is what you're talking about. That I think 4.0 already had it. The oh, okay, was, within 2000, okay. The question was, will 2000 earn it? And if they did, that would make Windows 2000 a desirable or useful purchase for unclassified DoD systems, which were the big purchaser at the time. Um, now, realistically, were those standards useful? Were they good? Did they, did they, did they somehow certify that Windows was more secure than Linux was more secure? You know, I don't think so. Uh, we we kind of got rid of ITSEC and TCSEC. They fell by the wayside. Um, I don't think the private sector has done any better, though. Uh, there have been attempts such as the common criteria from ISO to achieve the same thing, to say, give us, our, give us your products, we'll test them in our labs, and we'll give them an EAL rating, uh, the Evaluation Assurance Level rating from 1 to 7. Um, and... I, I think we all know what does the EAL level really tell you? Does it tell you that your product is more secure than your competitor's product? 
No, it tells us how much of a review you paid for. How much how much was this thing inspected, you know? It doesn't say it's secure. It says it was tested. So I don't know. I, I, I and, and and to branch off of that really quickly to go back to the NT 4.0 when it was in the red book and all those standards that it met wasn't the standard that it was meeting also specifying that the computer had to not be on a network to actually be secure. <laughs> So in other words, if you had an NT4 box, yeah, it was secure as long as you did not connect it to an Ethernet port. I think what the issue was is that when the Red Book was created, they were looking at products as individual entities. And that it, it's sort of like when you get the warning on a game today where um, this is the game rating if you use it as a standalone. As soon as you go online, yeah. We can't control the content anymore. Yeah. Online interactions are not rated. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Because as soon as you get on, some 12-year-old is going to start screaming um, racial epithets and all sorts of other uh, material at you, right? Yep. Uh, I think that was the issue with the Red Book, is that as soon as you network it, you can no longer control for all the same things you could control for otherwise. Right. Because you can't be sure that it's connecting to only other Red Book certified devices, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, uh, yeah, to your point though, I think that what you're saying is once the government gets involved and starts setting security standards, they either quickly get ignored or they quickly just become a, a source of revenue for the government to rubber stamp, uh, the, the, the certification or the sticker or whatever it is you're, you're applying for, which is all to say, is this actually going to be anything? <laughs> you know, and, and then this is one of the few things I'm not actually going to blame the government for. Um, I, I also, like you, I like NIST. I like NIST a lot. And and um, NIST took over for making federal regulations um, after the NSA basically said, we can't figure this out. Uh, we know how to break stuff. We don't know how to secure <laughs> stuff. Um, and NIST has done a fine job with cryptography, and they've created some really, really good standards. You know, I love the RMF. I love a lot of the things NIST does. I think this just points to the difficulty of coming up with a one-size-fits-all standard for an industry that's based on innovation and creativity and, and finding new ways to do problem solving. Um, it's impossible to get a certification that says, we know what tech will be like three years from now, so it has to have this certification. Um, it, it, it's difficult. And I don't think the government is in a position to do it. I don't think the private sector has been able to do it either. Um, right, right. Yeah, that was one of the things I was thinking is that typically in a capitalist society, you know, the marketplace of ideas, you have some aspect of self-policing. You, you mentioned the video games. Uh, the ratings on video games are an example of those publishers self-policing. Uh, but when we get into something as uh, uh, ephemeral as IoT security, is it even possible to self-police or is it even possible to police at all by any entity <laughs> and you're shaking your head no no I, 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 I totally i totally agree with you i love what the private sector has been doing they've been sponsoring uh hackathons like pwn to own um you know tesla famously drove a car onto the floor of of one of their uh events three years ago or four years ago and said hey if you can break our key fob you can drive the car away um and somebody did you know within a matter of hours um, they, they really do want to secure their own products. And I think it's more based on the fact that they see liability coming than they are afraid of, you know, really protecting their consumers. 
Um, you know, it, it, and it makes sense. And so they want to pay for security. They they issue bug bounties. You know, the the industry has responded to these things. There's just no way to do it preemptively. There's no proactive way to do this. Someone's going to find a way to break your stuff. And are you going to be liable from that point? Or have you shown due diligence by trying to secure your stuff? Rafti, you're yeah. nodding. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying that, the, of course, the, the conclusion there is don't buy the cheapest stuff on Amazon. If it's from a brand you don't know, you haven't looked into. Because like, as we saw, no, we saw this with the Eufy thing late last year, where they're, they're a Chinese uh, company and they have been sending the video, even though they claimed in their marketing material that it's all local. Um, they they sort of like forgot, forgot to mention that it's all local and in the cloud and that they're sending their stuff and their reputation, of course, got a hit, but like they just rebrand, bring it out anew and sell the rebadged stuff for maybe even cheaper, you know, <laughs> who knows? And And it's just like... This is the reason why you need to look into who who are you buying from, uh, where are they located, and are they invested actually in in like doing this self policing and doing like getting better? If are they scared of? Like, but then, you have, but then you have the opposite problem. Popularity attracts attackers. You know, the more ubiquitous a device or system is, the more impetus there will be for the attackers to crack it. Right. Um, I'm not saying that we should go with security through obscurity, um, but necessarily the most expensive appliance is not going to give you that feeling of security in all things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But like it, we talked about like vacuum robots as well as IoT devices, and there are so many out there who, who brand whose brand names I would not um, like recall in in a week or so um and so many of them are like still expensive but you need to look at them and look in into who who are the owners and would they actually be interested in in sort of like keeping that brand and sort of like associate security with it and this has been a tough one for me i mean as a security practitioner as a lover of freedom as a free marketeer this has been a tough balancing act because i i think of the mirai attacks which use those iot devices to launch ddos attacks basically co-opting homeowners as part of the attack and the question to me still has always come down to who's liable who's responsible who's who's the the person who should have um cut back on the ability of the attackers to launch these attacks is it the device manufacturer who built a device that could be usurped is it the homeowner who should have configured their device to not be penetrated? Is it, um, you know, where does this all come down to? And I still think the attacker is the guilty party, right? That's the first and foremost. Um, I don't think we need to share liability with manufacturers. I don't think we need to share liability with homeowners. I think we go down a real dangerous road if we start to do that and you get, you're going to get less creative solutions and you're going to get homeowners who really don't know how to use the products and aren't interested in using the products anymore. Um, but that's a tough question. That's a very tough question. I just have to say how American you sound when you start trying to justify uh, uh, assigning liability because you don't hear Rafti talking about liability at, at all with his European sentiment, sentimentality. <laughs> but Americans are always like, who can we blame? <laughs> <laughs> 
Because the question is, who can we sue? And this is yeah. not the question right, typically right. around here. Well, no, because the European approach is regulate it before it hits the market. And therefore, you have the limitations up front, right? You're front loading the limitations. You have to get the mother may I permission slip before you actually start to sell your product, um, as opposed to throwing a bunch of different products out there and seeing what's useful and what's best, you know, as, as opposed to what people want. So it's a very different style, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah 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 comes with a lot of different drawbacks you know on both sides <laughs> can, on both sides yeah, exactly yeah. I'm, I'm not saying one's better than the other necessarily yeah me neither me neither well i'm not afraid <laughs> to say americans are the best no, okay there you go <laughs> yeah in general i'm, I'm gonna stand by you yeah. <clears throat> sorry rafty we outnumber you on this show um <laughs> rafty did you have another current event no, but I sort of prepared for the thing you asked me. Oh, good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been some time, but I'd like to introduce another episode of Rafty Reads. And this is <laughs> Rafty goes about and reads the terms of service and privacy policies of various products and services so you don't have to. This is our service to you, the community. Go ahead, Rafty. What did you read this week? Yeah, you asked me because I guess they did a recent update and you were right. June 29th, Authy, a very popular um, time-based, one-time password, so 2FA, but T-O-T-P, um, like application got an updated um, uh, terms of service. No, term, Can I, can I just uh, front load this real quick for yeah. a few of our, our listeners? Uh, Authy is a another way of authenticating your identity when you're signing into an online account and what makes it most especially prominent from my perspective it's fairly frequently used for people accessing their amazon web services account that is amazon's cloud engineering if you're a customer of that you access it through authy quite often so i was interested to see what what is authy saying they will and won't do is this a different app or is it the same? Like with the six like number, six digit thing? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it's TTP. It's time-based one-time password. You can use like competing products would be, of course, um, like Google Authenticator. Um, but I, I have used Auth in the past. And what I would say why it's cool is, is because it's synchronizing. Um, like you have an Authy account and you store your secrets, your TTP secrets with their account. So there's a lot of trust involved in that as well. Because if they have your second factor, um, of course, like they have your second factor. And anybody who has access to that can reproduce the the six-digit number, which is sort of like... Yeah. Uh, um, Authy's not unique in the market, but they are prominent. They are prominent. Yeah, they are. Okay. And they have a cool Apple Watch app as well. So Okay. Well, good. Um, <laughs> so they so did an update. I don't, what's I their not, TOS look like? I have not found a diff, so I don't know what they changed. Um, so I can't say what, what necessarily changed, but I was surprised how good it actually is, you know? Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, I, I have used Auth in the past. I moved away from them because I don't like to sort of like have my, my second factor stored somewhere else, uh, necessarily. I, I'd like to keep it and sort of like have it because as we all know, like a second factor, you should have something that you are, something that you know, and something that you have. And if the thing that you have is actually a secret that somebody else knows, then that's breaking. And it's not the... true multi-factor. 
Exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, but at least you have it in different places. Maybe you have a password manager and you store your second factor somewhere else. Not too bad. Okay. Um, I think that the most um, red flags I found is that you sort of like that they're tracking, of course, your usage. Um, even though TOTP does not require an active internet connection. This is the reason why in the past dongles have been very like people like those things they could carry around with them where it spit out the six digit keys. I, if in the early days, somebody was like day trading or something with a web app, usually they gave you a TOTP like key ring thingamajig. Um, RSA famously issued cards. There was key fobs. There was a lot of ways of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, so stuff like that. Um, but um, so you don't need an active internet connection, but they are actively even tracking what you open because in Authy you have to click on from which application you want to sort of like see the code. They know what, so they get a profile about what you're doing. They say they're not sharing it. So in their privacy policy, they make the claim that they're not sharing it. It's just for them and to sort of like gather information for them and stuff like that. And they, they say they track as little as possible, but they do track this. Um, and they don't Is that only to... the applications that you're authenticating with Authy or do they watch every application that you open in case you're going to use Authy? No, 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 they want, now in Authy, if you open up like, because you have to open up Authy and then you click on Amazon and then it gives I you see. the- Okay, okay, all right. So they're Amazon. only tracking the stuff you're using Authy for. Exactly. But so they know every time you log into Amazon and you, right, or they right. know, of course, if you like save the login and you don't have to put in the code, they don't, Authy does not know. Um, but this is what they're tracking in that regard. Um, and they also require a phone number, which I don't like and stuff. So, so it's a couple of things which I don't like, but in general, they seem to, um, keep their, like, they don't say they share it. And I, I would lean to trusting them on that. Um, they are not, as far as I know, associated with anybody who's doing uh, fishy stuff um, in regards to sort of like advertisement or like credit scoring or stuff like that, because um, like it is user behavior and they they know how often you log into the different stuff. If you're, I don't know, <laughs> shopping addict, logging into Amazon each day um, and stuff like that. So it's uh, um, they, they, of course, track your IP address and everything, but it's as from my from from where i'm standing like um it's not too bad it i would not like i i moved away from it um cuz i wanted my stuff to be offline um but if you use it uh, i think it's good you can you can keep using it it's better than okay. having 2fa that's what okay. i'm saying and okay. it's easy so from our our tss oi rating system of 1 or 0 you'd give authy a qualified 1 Oh gosh, this is why I don't like it. <laughs> In that case, I'm sorry. I, from my, I would give it a zero still. I would really? bear, like, bear not pass. Yeah, uh, like okay. I would give it on a on a ten on a ten point scale. I would give it a four to five. You know. Yeah, but security ain't the ten point scale. It's like pregnancy. I know. You can either be secure or. You could be pregnant. There's just and then it, and then I'm saying it, use a different it's binary. One. There yeah. are so many better different uh, others. And even if you like use it with your password manager, because typically they don't connect to the internet for everything as well. But I think there are better options out there. So I would give it a zero. Okay, hang on a second, just so that we're clear. Are you giving the Authy app itself a zero, or are you giving the terms of service for Authy 
as you <laughs> because it sounds like the terms of service that's you can a give great a question that's a great question <laughs> the terms no. of service sound like a one even though you don't like the app no 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 i don't like what they're collecting the terms of service okay, okay. from yeah you're right you're right i if if somebody else would do it i think the terms of service is okay um, you can look at it, but um, they made some fishy decisions, uh, as I said, like connecting and collecting data, which I believe they don't need. They say they only collect what they need, but why would they uh, track what you're like looking at and why would they surf uh, like every time? Can, can I make a suggestion? On, I mean, sure. both you and I have apps. Can't you see a legitimate business purpose for knowing what your customers are using your app for so that you can make your app still work best for that service. I mean, uh, uh, to me, I can see a legitimacy there. Oh, and I understand. No, I, uh, we don't do any telemetry, which is a pain. I can tell you it is a pain. Yeah. Um, but as a, from as a, a developer perspective, yeah, yeah as no. a developer, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, hey, your your app doesn't work with this one case that I'm doing, and you go back through your telemetry and you go, well, only five other people get to that website. Why would I spend any time trying to support that? I so understand. I so understand. But from a from my perspective, I still like and and also of course because um, uh, it's not a complicated product. I I so like. There are options out there which don't connect, which are very good. And I, I would do even a shout out. Uh, uh, Ravo is an iOS app, which is fully local. It's also open source. Um, Spell it. Spell it, Rocky. R, R A I V O. Okay. Ravo. Okay. Very good open source app. Uh, love it. And um, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good, good. It's good to know that. Thank you, Rafti. Remember, everybody, Rafti reads so you don't have to. Uh, <laughs> this has been a service of the Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. If you and would like that, Rafti to read your terms of service, <laughs> right contact here. us and throw us a bunch of money. Oh, absolutely. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Uh, Matt, did you have any other current events that you wanted to throw in? I think we oh. covered mine. Yeah, not not really. Uh, a couple of upcoming things uh, that have absolutely nothing to do with anything. Oppenheimer is opening up uh, this weekend, oh, uh, which yeah. I'm excited for. I'm a big uh, World War II buff. They, you know, there's the trope that uh, when you get to be our age, uh, you either get into smoking meat or you get into World War II history. And you're both of them. I'm both of them. <laughs> yeah. So looking forward to Oppenheimer. Um, I did want to say also. Um, I'll be speaking at a security conference uh, coming up in September. I haven't announced uh, it yet because we're working out all, all the details. We are trying to work out doing a live podcast recording as well at some point in the future. I have no information currently on if that's actually going to happen. But if you, our dear listener, are involved with a security conference and you would like for the Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec to speak and record a podcast at your security conference, please feel free to contact us and we're going to try to fly Rafti over here from Austria. <laughs> that would be great. No. Yeah. And if you want would to be a lot this, of fun, this would yeah, be a lot would of be. fun. Yeah. It would yeah. be. Yeah. Awesome. I, I think that we would probably break the internet if we had all four of us, especially if we got Joey in there, because, uh, and, and speaking of Joey's off doing his own thing right now, by the way, but yeah, if we could get all four of us in the same room at the same time, I have no idea what would happen, but it would be glorious. I, I will up the ante. 
I'll say all five of us. If you get us oh, to yeah, your Robin. security conference, if you get us to your security conference, I'll bring Robin along too. Yeah, that's so cool. the price of admission right there. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Shove Rob, Robin out on the stage and the four of us. And let her there. talk. Yeah, because <laughs> no one's going to be looking at us at that point. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Rafael Fiedler. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com, and that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.